Time to express yourself. Where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be the Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself, we're a program by, for, and with creative young people, a platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, creator and producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. I'm Kenneth John, and before we, before we get into today's show, Be The Star You Are's volunteers and I want to urge you to check out our website at btsya.org. Go to the events tab to find exciting events, such as our upcoming Moraga Fair with a booth for family fun sponsored by Green Air, your energy solution company. It's time to go green. Visit www.gogreenair.net. We are thrilled to have received a certificate of recognition from the California legislature honored by the Be The Star You Are volunteers for 20 years of dedicated service to the community through literacy and positive media messages and we are determined to continue our empowering efforts. And with that, we can begin. Today's theme is science, and for this first segment, uh, we have an article from our very own Express Yourself host, Bridget Gia, who wrote about the expanse of our current field of study, neuroscience. So we can get right into it. Depth and breadth play joint roles in establishing the foundation and purpose of neuroscience. The former is vital to the understanding of the mechanisms by which the brain creates the individual, and the latter is the basis for the application of scientific discovery to prevalent issues in the status quo, a product of the uniquely human ability to innovate across multiple areas of study. Underneath this functional outlook on the necessity of educational depth and breadth is a simple concept of reductionism, that an entity's mechanisms are deduced from knowledge of its structure and a desire to grasp a thorough, all-encompassing view of humanity from within the brain. The brain structure determines its function. A brain function is at the core of human behavior, cognition, a creative fantasy. Thus, pursuit of an in-depth education in neuroscience is the path by which, through comprehension of neural patterns and the physical nature of higher thought processes, one may discover just how logic and emotion intertwine to create the individual. With specific knowledge of the organ, afflictions that arise from neural malfunctions may be pinpointed to areas in the brain and treated selectively on a cellular basis. The importance of depth in neuroscience is poignantly illustrated by the neurological basis of Parkinson's disease, in which neuronal degeneration in a segment of a particular neural pathway results in a loss of control over the body's motor system. Devising treatments for the disease, grafting stem cells that produce a facilitatory Neurotransmitter onto the deteriorating region, for example, requires a vast depth of knowledge for application and success. Specific neuropathological instances aside, depth is an inherent aspect of studies about the brain for one simple reason, its complexity. 
If structure determines function, then the function of the brain cannot be deduced without an intimate understanding of the 100 billion neurons that constitute this physical representation of the individual. The budding neuroscientist's desire to decipher human activity across all subjects necessitates the thorough study of the brain. Thus, depth characterizes her attainment to this educational goal. With depth grasped and marked for pursuit, academic breadth is the key to synthesizing acquired information with real-world application. Because processing in the brain is so determinant of cognition in all areas of study, an incredible number of multidisciplinary results may be extracted from the discoveries in neuroscience. If connections are made between brain function and any issue in, in, in another field, bodily health and comprehension of one's circumstances and environment also stem from the organ. Therefore, conclusions drawn about neural processes affect basic living standards and lifestyle choices among members of the general populace. But a neuroscientist without a broad education across multiple disciplines may be incapable of making the initial connection between scientific discoveries and their implications in other fields. For instance, the intricacies of a tie between power structures within a regime and possible neuropsychological conditions of authoritarian figures in power might be observable only to a scholar with knowledge of both. Research centered around neuronal regeneration in the peripheral nervous system is clearly linked to the development of fine-tuned prosthetics, but a scholar with the capability of identifying specific breakthroughs in one field to address particular issues in the other would be more suited to develop ingenious solutions in rapid periods of time. The most extraordinary instance of inter interdisciplinary brilliance thus far is a computing neural network created with the marriage of neuroscience and studies in artificial intelligence. Without breadth of education, what chance of this occurrence would exist? A near infinite quantity of these connective, or connective innovations remain at a neuroscientist's fingertips all of which must be grasped through acquisition of a broad academic range of knowledge. Thus, depth and breadth of education are far more mutually exclusive, and the two must be pursued in tandem to achieve the goal of applicable success in research-based neuroscience. The art of making broad connections between apparently dissimilar concepts is itself traced back to a physical property of the human brain, which is generally differentiated into localized parcels of function. Synesthesia, a neurological condition in which the individual's sensory systems melt together to form an altered perspective of certain stimuli, is a result of a genetic mutation in the brain. Beyond this extreme, human beings instinctively and routinely piece information from multiple brain systems together to form overarching concepts and novel ideas. Likewise, in-depth learning finds a neurophysiological basis in its ability to physically alter the brain's capacitance for new and similar information. Thus, the scholars achieving both depth and breadth of education allows not only access to the functional goals stated above, but the fullest expression of the individual's innate capabilities. Self-realization, a step in Maslow's famed pyramid of human needs, may be captured in the understanding of humanity reached through this dual approach to education. From one scholar's perspective, the thrill of discovering the structure, structural basis behind a mechanical function and the excitement of fitting new information to learn concepts from a wide array of disciplinary fields are the driving forces of academic achievement. And with that, that ends. So I think this is really cool, and it's really cool of Brigitte, uh, Brigitte to be able to share this with us today. Because I think while this concept is a very kind of inherently identifiable concept in science and neuroscience, um, it's not one that's been articulated that much um, in the way that Brigitte does here. 
I think it's really cool how she points out how, you know, studying the brain is in essence studying what a human is, right? Which is a very kind of artistic and philosophical question that um, would be more associated with um, different studies rather than something as technical and, uh, I guess, per um, perceived to be practical as something like neuroscience. Um, but with kind of that initial or that core mission of neuroscience in place, um, it's only logical to kind of then make the claim that uh, neuroscience is really uh, uh, important to the core of a lot of different studies. You know, she mentions how um, how looking at how the brain functions and how that affects body, uh, the rest of your body and how that can affect your social interactions with others, how that can also kind of play a role in studying different types of governments. She talks about authoritarian uh, dictators and figures in power and how the differences in those kinds of functions can actually um, be identified and be addressed in um, creating different types of governments and identifying the problems in each government. Um, and yeah, uh, like I was saying and like uh, Brigitte mentioned, um, it really goes into more artistic and philosophical questions as well. Um, what it means to be human, what it means to be a person, what it means to exist, um, those all kind of stem from that initial uh, practical observation of how the brain works, how it functions, um, what it allows us to do, and you know to what extent it really identifies human beings from other organisms and different human beings from each other. Um, so yeah, I think that was a really cool article that um, we're really fortunate for Brigitte to have shared with us today. Um, there's a quote that I want to end this segment on, and it's, the saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom, which is from Isaac Asimov. And I think that kind of plays into um, a little bit of what Brigitte was talking about, how science kind of can lead to other questions in politics and art and philosophy, um, where it all stems from that initial observation. All right, uh, thank you for joining us on air for this science-oriented segment. As a reminder, Be The Star You Are for teens, as well as a new establishment in the series Be The Star You Are, Be the Star you Are Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World, is available now and can be found at www.starstylestore.net. If you're looking for a new book to read, consider picking up a copy. Your purchase benefits the Be The Star You Are 501c3 charity and this Express Yourself program as a donation. So make sure you get your copy today. Check out youtube.com slash be the star you are for our fun and informative be the star you are videos on living, laughing, and learning. Visit us at www.btsya.org and check out past editions of our show at expressyourselfteenradio.com. Keep on listening as we continue our conversation on science. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. The Voice America Live Events channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 
800-458-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thanks for staying with us here at Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. In this next segment, we'll be joined by star guest author Mary McNerney. Mary McNerney earned her law degree from Georgetown University, had a fellowship with the UN Commission on International Trade Law, and then worked for many years as a corporate and international lawyer in Boston and Prague. It was not her plan to write her new book, Earth Speaks Up. She never imagined that the spirit of the earth would one day unmistakably, clearly, and shockingly speak to her. Mary says that the experience has put her on an entirely different trajectory than she ever envisioned as a corporate lawyer. She shares in a wild and wonderful way, uh, er, she shares, quote, in a wild and wonderful way, I instead became a messenger on behalf of our planet Earth. Mary now lives in Massachusetts together with her husband and horses. She enjoys riding her horses through the woods and fields and being more deeply with the, being more deeply connected with the many dimensions of nature. And with that, let's welcome Mary onto the show. Hi, Mary. Hi, it's a treat to be here with you and to have the opportunity to share um, some of the wisdom that Earth has provided with us in the book, Earth Speaks Up. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I'm excited to uh, have you share with your, your experiences and thoughts. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, what might be kind of intriguing to our uh, listeners right now from that intro was that um, you had a special experience, right? It says, one day, unmistakably, clearly, and shockingly, the spirit of the earth spoke to you, right? So what does that exactly mean? What was this experience that you had that put you on this different trajectory? Well, I like sharing that experience, and it is, it's often most people's first question, too. So it's a good, I like sharing it. Um, I was home from work one day. I, I Let me preface that with saying I, I had a traditional 
life traditional career like most of us do, whether you're a student or graduated and working now, um, pretty well immersed in paperwork and uh, what logical, what is our logic, left brain, left brain or right brain, logic. Um, I, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't either. But that side of logical day-to-day um, career and um, managing business logistics and drafting contracts. And so I was home from work one day, but probably it was a weekend and I had a day off and enjoying my free time out of out of the, you know, the work life. And, and it was a beautiful day outside. And I was thinking, what shall I do today? I grab my husband and our dog, go for a walk in the woods, take my horse out, just relishing the idea of the free time and being open in my mind to what, what will I do? And I just happened to say out loud to no one but myself, because I was the only one in the room, what shall I do today? And then I very clearly and precisely heard take dictation from the earth. And it was shocking to me because there was no one else in the room. And I knew immediately it was from the angelic realm. And it was a profound idea, but I had no idea what to do with that, that concept or that guidance. And I, once I recovered from my shock, I just, put the idea in the back of my mind and and forgot about it pretty much until about six months later, I heard the exact same thing. Take dictation from the earth. And I had no idea what to do, but I figured, okay, I'll give it a try. I, and I took a pen and paper in hand and just went out and sat on the edge of the woods in our backyard and just sat there. And then all of a sudden the dictation started coming and it was profound words and initially hard for my pen and my hand and mind to keep up with it. But as it was coming, um, it was quite clear to me I was being dictated a book and I continued doing this over the ensuing months and years. And that's what came forth is this book earth speaks up, which was really meant for all of us. And I like sharing this, um, this vignette with you all because it shows that, you know, I'm not, I was a corporate lawyer um, following the traditional career path. I was not some illustrious spiritual type or some nature guru. I was just like all of you and all of the listeners were, I'm, I'm no different than anyone else, but This story shows us that this is a capability we all have to begin to listen and work together with earth and nature and the other dimensions of our world in in an amazing and exciting and important way. So that's how this started. And then from there, everything else unfolds with a lot of guidance and perspective from the earth for all of us yeah that's that's very interesting um what exactly was that new way or new perspective that you had um after you know taking dictation from the earth what how exactly did your perspective change on how you kind of connected with the earth how you wanted to help it well what i was shown through all of this what the information i was dictated um was that Earth is not at all as we see it. 
um, we receive earth as this inert ball of dirt and rock, but earth is, well, let me, let me step back a bit. Our understanding, humanity's understanding of earth throughout the ages has always been a process of evolution. I mean, we initially, humanity initially perceived earth as, um, as flat. That was fact. That was reality until explorers showed us otherwise and we expanded our minds and our perception. We perceived the earth as the center of the universe until astronomers showed us otherwise. And again, our perception and our understanding of reality expanded. And um, we believed the earth uh, or the sun rotated around the earth until science showed us otherwise. So our perception or understanding of earth has always been changing and expanding and right now today where we all now are now on this planet right today is we're at another nexus of change this we're presented with this huge amazing wonderful opportunity to step into a new understanding of earth and to recognize earth is not this inert ball of dirt and rock as we perceive it Earth is a conscious and sentient and communicating being who is eager to engage with each one of us and who really needs us to engage with her. And the book Earth Speaks Up is all about providing us the guidance and tools and exercises to be able to to attune to Earth, to listen to Earth, and then to work together with Earth on the energetic level. So it's a, the book presents us with the guidance to be able to really step into this new understanding and reawaken our own innate ability to engage with earth and all of nature. Mm-hmm. What is um, that energetic level that you mentioned? What is engaging with that energetic level? What does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? Hmm. Well, let me explain it this way. Um, Earth has, Earth and all of nature has its own worldwide web. Um, This is something that trees communicate with, birds use it on on their migrations. All of nature relies on this frequency of communication that radiates from and through the Earth. And we as humans have disconnected ourselves from that frequency because it's different than what we use in our daily verbal communications, our daily mental um, constructs. So we over the ages have disconnected with from this. Ancient societies knew this and used this and work with this. But in our modern times, we've become more distracted by the material world and forgotten about Earth's worldwide web. But we've in a way, supplanted it with our own frequency of communications that we use for our computers, our cell phones, the satellite. Um, That that we operate on on two different frequencies. And we just need to learn to be able to reset our dial and reconnect in with that frequency which radiates from Earth and through all of nature. It's just a a skill we've lost through, through the centuries, um, but we all have it. 
We just need to be reminded of it and, and, and be able to shift the dial. Um, mm-hmm. um, you said there were exercises that you included in your book, right, of mm-hmm. connecting with the earth on that level. Um, what is like an example of an exercise that somebody could participate in? Well, there's oh, several. In the book, we're given nine different exercises. These aren't things I designed. These are This is what was communicated through the earth and the angelic realm, which gave us this book. Um, and they're different exercises. They're all very simple. This is the intriguing part um, because about how to begin to practice attuning, shifting to this frequency. Um, and then once we shift to this frequency, there's exercises to help us learn to begin working with the earth on the energetic level, that multidimensional level that precedes form which bring forth which where we can engage and work more creatively on the on the healing level with earth. And I know I'm talking it's probably a little bit abstract for you right now. But just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. But um the exercises are help us drop our energy down from our mind into connecting with the earth on um, and it's sort of different types of meditations to help us shift out of our mind and into this other frequency level. And I would gladly take you through it. It takes, to first start this, it takes about, you know, for people to become familiar with it, it takes, I recommend spending, oh, 10 or 15 minutes when you first start to shift. So I don't, I know we don't have time for that right now. But if you... Um, go to my website, marymcnerney.com. It'll connect you into some links, which will, which show the, um, which provide some of the exercises there. Um, but they're all, um, they're all about getting us out of our logical mindset and allowing ourselves to shift into bringing our attention into feeling the earth's vibration, feeling the earth's pulse and opening our minds up in that way. And when we do, it's amazing the information and the vibration and the energy that can flow to us. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry um, to, to speak in such abstract terms because we're dealing with really novel concepts that are hard for us to wrap our logical minds around, but the book will give you some guidance. Yeah. Um, it's, really interesting to say the least I'm kind of just sitting here trying to process all of it um is there a way you can kind of uh manifest that into like environmental activism um like there are kind of physical issues that threaten our planet um to various extents right like climate change um yeah droughts things like that um like a lack of resources in different parts of the world um, is there a way to kind of utilize that connection to Earth to um, translate it into these kinds of modern uh, issues and modern solutions? You know, I, that's a really good question you asked, Emma. I think um, because I think that's why this book, this information, this book has been brought to us now because we're at this time of climate crisis and collapse of ecosystems and the massive um, fires burning, all these. Um, ecological crises we're dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. And these are all 
because I think now what humanity and our constructs on Earth and our degradation of Earth and our and our separation from Earth has made it so our planet cannot heal heal and rebalance herself alone. She needs us, each one of us, to to learn to engage with her in this new way. I mean, with climate change, we all feel, oh my gosh, this is so horrible. Um, somebody's got to do something. Big government, big science corporations, somebody's got to do something. Um, we we feel it's not something we individually, we're, we don't have the power to do that. We might go out and join some protest marches and climate justice rallies. But beyond that, we feel, hey, I'm just an ordinary individual. There's nothing I can do. But the amazing thing is what this book shows us is that we each individually have an incredible amount of power and an innate capability to work together with Earth on the energetic level to help heal and rebalance the planet and working on the energetic level it's hard for me to describe what that is it's it's working in this um using our awareness and our ability to attune and work co-creatively with the earth in a way that Thought precedes form. We're working on a different level. What the level that precedes form, the level that precedes our physical world. And the book guides us into using our energy, using our intention, using our minds in an entirely new way that we've separated ourselves from. And when we step in and engage in this new way individually, we have an incredible ability to create change and bring forth change on our planet. And when we each do it, it has a ripple effect that um, goes beyond our own little healing exercise, our own little um, um, worked with our own little um, connection with earth. Okay. Um, um, it's there, like, you're like, oh, it's still so abstract. Yeah, yeah it's, so yeah. yeah. Um, it's, is there any, like, example that you can think of, of working with Earth on that kind of level? Um, well, one example, um, and this is has to do with one exercise we're given in the book. Um, and I'll try and paraphrase phrase it quickly, because I know we don't have a lot of time is um, we, um, we see things like hurricanes and tornadoes and those natural disasters. Um, and the book guides us that there's things we individually, we as humanity can do to um, change the energetic currents before such natural disasters come into formation. Because a hurricane, for example, is... Earth's only way of clearing and releasing the negative energy, the negative vibration put forth by humanity. We see our things as we have wars or big battles or whether it's physical wars or a lot of anger we vent or whatever. Um, 
we see that is here today, gone tomorrow, it's done. But that, what it does is build up accumulated toxins in the Earth's atmosphere, energetic, negative ener energetic vibrations in the Earth's atmosphere that the, the Earth can't hold. We spew our venom, spew our anger, but it uh, imbalances the planet. Same way as when you spew anger or venom at the person sitting next to you. It imbalances the two of you, and it, and it disrupts your equilibrium, your your innate health. Um, and this, so too, happens with the planet. And so what the Earth can only do to clear that buildup of toxic energy is to twist and spin it, create a hurricane, and that releases it. But it also has a lot of destructive effect for all of us. But the, we're given an exercise, and this part's really exciting. We're given a very simple exercise where we choose a particular landscape we want to work with. We bring in, we frame that in our mind, we bring in a current through our own self of sparkling white light, bring it into that landscape. And because we're intentionally working on the energetic level, it has the effect fact of releasing built up toxic negative energy in that landscape we on behalf of earth so we can create change before earth has to bring forth uh, a natural disaster a storm or a landscape fire or whatever um, it's all about bringing ourselves into working with a different way, with our intent, with our mind, with our consciousness, with our being, and allowing our energy to sink into the planet um, and join up with the planet, our mental energy and our um, our vibrational force, our life force. And we do this through these simple meditations. And as we bring that clearing energy into the planet, it seems very simple to us. It seems like, how can that have effect? But the amazing thing is that it does. And this is a whole new direction for us to learn to work in. Yeah, it's interesting to think of the Earth as having those kinds of outbursts, right, um, through mm -hmm. hurricanes. Um, mm -hmm. Is there any kind of other ways that the Earth, um, like, speaks or expresses itself? Yeah, the earth is constantly speaking and expressing itself in many ways through um, when we bring our attention to the earth, when we maybe to start with, it's easy to sit under a tree, but you can do this anywhere. When we practice bringing our attention down from our minds, down through our bodies, feeling our attention and our energy sink into the earth, once you practice this a bit, you'll start to sense earth, uh, maybe a pulse or a vibration. Some people hear sort of a, a musical drumming in their mind's ear. Um, some people will sense colors, or I happen to get it in words. Other people get it in words. Some people get it in a, in a rhythm. Or a, but the more you attune to earth in this way, you'll pick up earth's vibration a pulse you'll feel it i guarantee you the more you practice this you'll feel it 
And this is the way Earth can bring forth her voice and her vibration to you rather than having to continue to express herself and, and clear her energy and clear her, her vibration through a hurricane. Mm -hmm. Does that um, make any sense? I hope it's, I know it's so abstract, but it's a whole uh, new way. It's a whole new way of perceiving ourselves our, in our planet. Yeah, I, I think I'm starting to get a bit, a bit of a better sense of um, that kind of approach. Um, so what can like an individual do? Um, you talked about how it's important for each person to kind of reach that connection, right? Mm -hmm. um, what can an individual do to help with those kinds of physical issues like global warming and natural disasters and things like that um, after kind of reaching that connection? Well, and this is, this is the thing. When we start bringing that connection, making that connection, humanity bringing our, our, our minds into conscious connection with the earth, listening to earth in this way, has a a profound supportive effect for the planet. It nourishes the planet when we bring our minds into conscious connection with her, when we tune our awareness to her, when we recognize, yes, I see you, I hear you, I am here listening, bring myself into connection with you. It, it opens up the earth to receive a, a nourishing force through her humanity, through each one of us individually. And we perceive ourselves, oh, it's just me. I'm just an ordinary person. But no, when we each do it, it makes a difference. It nourishes the earth as each one of us learn to attune, bring our attention to earth. And it's not something you have to spend your lifetime, your whole day doing. It's something each of us can do Hey, you brush your teeth twice a day. You can do this for five minutes twice a day. And I guarantee you when you start shifting your attention, shifting your frequency settings toward the earth, the earth picks up that call and is fed and nourished by just the act of you recognizing, I'm going to connect with earth. I'm going to bring my attention down into earth. You know, it's sort of like a parallel. Many, many of us, some of us have our religious traditions and we go to church or temple or mosque or whatever we might do and we bring our attention up in the heavens and that nourishes or connects us with, some, with our divinity, we perceive ourselves. But we also need to recognize the divinity within our planet, the the wisdom that and gift that our planet is and bring our attention down into the planet too, connecting ourselves with the planet the same way we connect ourselves with the heavens. And this feeds us and nourishes the planet too. And we're just right now being asked to awaken ourselves to this conscious connection with the earth and to recognize the earth needs me to do this. And when I do this, it feeds the earth and nourishes myself. And when each one of us does it, it makes a difference. We're not dependent on big government to create change. We all have this innate capability 
to learn to work with Earth in an entirely new way. Um, what are some of the things that the Earth has asked you to do, like personally, or what is kind of like a, uh, I guess, kind of like a general trend that you might notice in like what the Earth expresses or um, what it really says? Well, I guess really what the Earth really asked me to do was take dictation from the Earth and and bring forth this book into the world, um, which is kind of like a a primer. It was a primer for me to learn mm -hmm. how to connect with. I didn't know any more than you do right now. I was no pro at this. I was just asked to do it, and I opened myself up to say, okay, I did it. And when the earth brought forth this book, it was all new to me. Um, and now I really work with the information in it every day, and there's still more information coming forth. Just um, a lot more from the earth and the angelic realm to help guide us all into this new, this new way of being with the planet. Um, mm -hmm. And I want to point to an exercise that you have in your book called Attune to the Consciousness of a Rock. Um, yeah, so one, I want to ask how that exactly works. How do you bring the energy of the rock into ourselves? And second, um, if the earth um, has kind of like that conscious uh, humanity to it. Does that mean everything does like rocks and other kinds of um, like physical objects? Does that all have like an imbued humanity or sense of being? Well, in my experience, all of nature does. I don't know about other physical objects, like, you know, things we build tables or chairs. I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. I haven't, you know, but I know all of nature. Everything in nature is alive and conscious and communicating. Trees and, you know, of course, all flora and fauna and all animals, too. We just as humans don't have lost how to attune to that frequency. Um, and many of you, many of you have pets or maybe have a dog. You Sometimes you see your dog just staring at you so intently, looking at you so intently. And, um, and it's really, dogs are often trying to communicate with their animals and communicate with humans and say, and they think if I, if I just focus on that, my person intently enough, they'll get the message. They'll get the message. But we haven't learned how to shift our frequency settings to tune in yet, but we, that's something we need to learn. And, um, but it, the amazing thing to me too, when, when I received the information in this book is that rocks are not at all as we see them. Rocks are part of nature and carry our vectors of energy. We see a rock as just an inert thing. It's not, it's a carrier of earth's energy. And ancient civilizations, I realized, knew how to attune to and work with the energy of rocks. That's what brought forth things like Stonehenge or the ancient pyramids. And there's lots of things like Stonehenge. That's the most famous one, but there's lots of creations like that all over the planet. And my sense is, is that the ancient societies knew how to attune to and connect consciously connect with the life force, the vibration that's in rock, and conjointly 
move that rock, those big rocks that we see in Stonehenge. Um, and that's something in our modern times, wow, we've completely lost that. But this was a, a whole amazing awakening for me to when I received this information to see that rocks are these real vectors of energy for the planet. And when humanity learns to connect with the energy they carry, it opens up amazing possibilities for healing and health and well-being for the planet. Mm -hmm. So it just shows you nothing we see on our planet. Nothing is as we see it. Just keeping our minds open um, to new, um, new experiences and new awareness of everything in nature and everything on the planet. Yeah, that's really interesting to say again. Um, we are out of time, unfortunately. So I want to thank you again for coming on today um, and sharing your perspective on the environment and activism and everything. Um, as you could probably tell and the audience could probably tell, it was really new to me. So it was really cool to hear about the kind of perspective. Um, audience, be sure to learn more about Mary and her new book, Earth Speaks Up, at www.marymcnerney.com. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Um, I know it's all new to you. It was all new to me, and it's all new for all of us, but it's a whole new direction for us to bring our attention. And if people are interested, yeah, check out my website. The book is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble or, or your local bookstore can get it for you. So um, it's just a really exciting adventure for all of us to start to experiment and explore this new direction is working on the, on earth worldwide web, not just our own computer web. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, audience, be sure to support our show and learn about upcoming Be The Star You Are events at bethestaryouare.org. I'm Kenneth John, and make sure to show your love for more segments like this one by donating to the Be The Star You Are 501c3 literacy charity that brings you this program at www.bethestaryouare.org. Visit www.bethestaryouare.org to find out more about Be The Star You Are. Keep listening for more on science. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. 
For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Uh, for this last segment, the last segment, sorry, um, I will actually be giving another edition of my 2020 Vision segment on movies and TV and photography. Um, so yeah, today I actually want to talk about science fiction um, because what else if the theme is science today? And of course, science fiction is a very important part of our media at large. It's largely what we use to kind of um, speculate on how our societies will turn out in the future. Um, and of course, it's been a large uh, motivator, a large inspiration to a lot of scientists across the world, um, giving people that I- idea and visualization of what could be a possible um, in the next decades and centuries. So I want to talk about how sci-fi has actually kind of really changed over the past half a century or so, I guess. Um, so there was this golden age of sci-fi, what people refer to as the classic age or golden age of sci-fi, and it's usually marked around the 1950s and 60s. Um, and that's where you usually see a lot of that classic science fiction art, that kind of colorful vintage um art on those movie posters of those silver spaceships and like red Mars-like planets and, you know, weird space ray guns, things like that. You've probably seen um, what I'm talking, what I'm talking about to some degree. Um, And yeah, that's when uh, that kind of really colorful, imaginative sci-fi peaked, really. Um, People were really uh, interested in speculating about what the far future held for us in terms of travel, in terms of technology, communication. Um, and yeah, it was very, it was different from what we have now a lot. Um, uh, you could say it was largely optimistic, um, especially compared to uh, things that would come down the future. There are still really big, significant standout pieces of media that took sci-fi with a more eerie or dystopian approach. Um, notably, the Twilight Zone was that um, was kind of like a landmark uh, show in how it approached those kinds of uh, technological as well as supernatural um, concepts and kind of twisting them to feel a bit more scary or horror-like. But um, it's usually this kind of time period is usually attributed as a very optimistic time period uh, in terms of sci-fi, and that's largely because. Uh, Star Trek, um, what mostly anybody will point to as soon as anybody says the word sci-fi, um, people usually point to Star Trek as you know the science fiction show. It's inspired different technological advancements like the flip phone, things like that. And it's just kind of that um, that show that everybody refers to as the show where humanity is in the future and people are working with future technology, future um, societal systems, things like that. And the reason why it's so largely optimistic is because it was specifically designed to be that way by its creator, uh, Gene Roddenberry. Uh, Roddenberry's vision um, was one of a world in which humanity had quote-unquote, uh, quote-unquote, peaked, um, which essentially means that things like ra- uh, racism, sexism, um, those kinds of inter-human conflicts were pretty much all eradicated. You know, um, those kinds of interpersonal conflicts didn't really exist because humanity had worked them out so well. 
and the conflicts of the show and of each episode usually existed with uh, aliens and other worlds. Of course, there was still things like corruption um, among you know the government, Starfleet, things like that. But it was very uh, external the way it found its conflicts and sources of drama. And that's very different from what we have now um, here in the 21st century and even like the 80s, 90s and kind of the 70s. Um, but especially now, you have things like The Hunger Games, Looper, um, Interstellar kind of is a little bit dystopian. Um, you have the TV show Black Mirror, which is very, very dark and how it approaches the near future with um, very realistic technological advancements. Um, they take on a lot more pessimistic view of what can be possible or made possible with um, future advancement. And it's usually because it's set in the somewhat near future where things are a lot more, um, where things seem a lot more achievable, a lot more, uh, a lot closer to what we have now. And as where uh, in Star Trek and those kinds of uh, shows and movies, uh, the pro problems were very external and came from other worlds, from other systems, things like that. Um, poverty, classisms, um, racism, sexism, all of that is usually very prominent in the kinds of sci-fi media we have now. Um, and even in the new Star Trek movies we have now, um, the ones directed by, I think it's J.J. Abrams, um, Star Trek Discovery, a uh, TV show uh, that they, on the second season, of uh, Star Trek Picard, another new TV show um, in the Star Trek series. Um, these have noticeably taken a lot, taken a lot um, darker approach to how Star Trek deals with its world. And um, it's the reason why they've kind of gotten a lot of hate and a dislike from a lot of OG Star Trek fans. Um, they're usually claimed to be too entrenched in war and battle, um, you know, uh, sexism, racism, um, political conflicts, things like that, are much more prominent um, because they're very closely attuned with you know the world we have now, where um, more and more people are taking that step to kind of fully address those issues head on. So our media has kind of uh, reflected that too. Um, Star Trek Beyond, the third movie in the Star Trek movie series, um, was the only one that kind of received praise from Star Trek fan bases for its return to that interplanetary problem-solving kind of approach to its storyline, where there's just a crew of people and they have to solve a problem um, after they meet conflict on another world. And yeah, I talked about this a little, but I think there are multiple reasons for that change. And it's not completely because like everyone is just pessimistic and everyone just hates everything now. Um, for one, dystopian stories are simply easier to write. On the surface, they might seem like I don't know, like super clever subversions to a utopian future that everybody has in mind. But, you know, honestly, dystopian futures are a lot more identifiable. You know, they're easier to relate to. They're easier to visualize. Um, just because they're so close to what we have now, the problems that we have now are also the ones we're dealing with in the future in these kinds of stories. So the vision of a perfect future is hard to create conflicts for when we know so many problems that we have to fix now. And Star Trek is very identifiable for this approach of having that almost perfect humanity where uh, problems come from the outside. So it's harder to find a unique perspective on a utopian um, kind of world. And I think it's not necessarily because everyone 
is more pessimistic. It's just that the fast pace of technological uh, advancements with the revolution um, in the past few decades, uh, mixed with the comparatively slow socioeconomic progress, we still have a lot of existing social problems, economic problems that we have to kind of work through. We have like um, divisions in classes and races, all of that. Um, those seem so much comparatively harder to solve. So with one being so fast in how it advances and one being so slow in how it advances, it's much easier to grasp that vision of the future where those two coincide and um, yeah, exist together and have to deal with each other essentially. So yeah, right now there is, seems to be kind of a shortage of optimistic science fiction stories. And that's a little bit of a problem because um, science fiction has a very real impact on direction on the direction of real life scientific progress. Um, as I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, essentially optimistic features are what drive the core idea of science in general. You know, science is how we achieve making the world better. And the core motivation is that we believe that the world can be made better. And so if we don't really see any kind of imaginative takes on how that world could be improved, um, it's hard to really take that approach into like what essentially is a darkness and try to find the solutions um, that get us to a more optimistic future. So yeah, I think that's just an interesting thing that science fiction has, um, or interesting direction that science, science fiction has uh, taken over the years. And yeah, that concludes our show for today on science. Uh, audience, please support Be The Star You Are and find information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs on our main site at www.bethestarur.org. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. I'm Kenneth John, and as always, we give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. Engage in scientific discovery, speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars to shine between the lines if you would let yourself.